You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON20 and you'll get 20% off your next order. Happy Monday to you. Hope you had a great weekend. Today, we are going to focus our discussion on the Bills' rivals in the AFC East. On Friday, we dug in deep on the Kansas City Chiefs, the challenges they present, and what the Bills could do this offseason from a scheme and personnel perspective to help have better success when they play. And we know that the Bills will play the Chiefs at least once next year, probably twice, one of those dates coming in the playoffs. They are very much in the way of the Bills winning the AFC. Now, a big step in getting to the postseason, hosting home playoff games, is winning your division. And Brandon Bean, the Bills' general manager, remains very focused on the division. If you listen to his year-end press conference, he was asked a lot of questions, a lot of them about the Kansas City Chiefs. And it felt like Brandon Bean went out of his way to steer the discussion back to the division, saying, yeah, we, we've got to deal with Kansas City. They're a good football team, you know, a big challenge. They're the champs. They're the kings of the AFC. But the focus has to be on winning the division. The clearest path to making the playoffs and hosting playoff games is winning the division. And the Bills did that last year, right? For the first time since 1995, the Bills won the AFC East and they did so in dominant fashion. They were 6-0 and against the teams in the AFC East last season. Dominated them. I had a conversation with an NFL scout one time. And we were talking about measuring the growth of teams and how to measure the growth of teams and players. And he said the best way to measure the growth of a team or a player is to evaluate their performance in the second divisional game of the season. The reason for that is your division rivals are the teams that know you the best. They know your tendencies the best. They know your personnel the best. And there's a lot of mutual tape. You know, you're playing the same opponents every year, so not only are you preparing for that team twice a season, not only are you building a team that can compete and ideally defeat your division rivals, but in your studies for preparation against other teams, you are coming back to watching those opponents play your division rivals. The familiarity there is off the charts. He said... Focus on that second divisional game. That will tell you a lot about the team and the players that you're evaluating. How did the Bills do last year? Well, we know they were 6-0, and so they, they beat all of the division rivals the first time, beat them all the second time. But the margin of victory is what should make you smile. The first time through, the Bills beat the Jets, Dolphins, and Patriots by an average of 5.3 points. The second time through, 
the average margin of victory was 22.3. Three scores on average. Unbelievable. So you got to love the trajectory here, right? Where the Bills are going and how those division rivals are stacking up against the Buffalo Bills. Let me repeat those numbers again, just in case you tuned out for a second or you zoned out. The first time through, the Bills beat the Jets, Dolphins, and Patriots by an average margin of victory of 5.3 points. The second time through, the average margin of victory was 22.3. That doesn't get you going on a Monday. I don't know what does. So for the rest of our discussion today, I want to focus in on the other three teams in the AFC East, break them down, talk about the challenges that they're facing this offseason, and um, just kind of paint a picture of where this division is as um, now the Bills become the hunted, right? Everyone's looking up at the Bills now. The Bills are the class of the AFC East. The Dolphins, Jets, Patriots, they have... Their sights set on the Buffalo Bills. So let's talk about them each individually as they gear up for an important offseason where they are going to try to narrow that gap and dethrone the Buffalo Bills. You'll notice a common trend between all of these teams. They either have a ton of draft picks, a ton of cap space, or both. But they all have a lot of questions. Let's do it. First team, Miami Dolphins. Finished second in the AFC East last year. They had a 10-6 and record on the year. Did not make the playoffs. That's got to suck, right? You win 10 games. There's seven seeds in the AFC playoffs, and you don't get in. As far as the coaching staff in Miami goes, Brian Flores is returning for his third season on the job, and the notable change comes at offensive coordinator where Chan Gailey has been fired, and they replaced Chan Gailey with two offensive coordinators. They now have co-offensive coordinators in Eric Studisville and George Godsey. Studisville was the running backs coach in Miami for the last three seasons. He's been a long-term NFL running backs coach. He was with the Bills for a little bit, Denver for a while. George Godsey was the tight ends coach in Miami for the last two seasons, and He has a a decent resume in the NFL, uh, some work as a quarterback's coach, a lot of time as a tight ends coach. Uh, He was actually an offensive coordinator in Houston for a moment as well, and he has time and experience with Brian Flores from some mutual time together in New England. But this is Brian Flores' third offensive coordinator in as many seasons on the job. So, you know, a defensive-minded coach like Flores – Hasn't found that right OC to go with him. Year one, it was Chad O'Shea. They let him go after one season. They brought in Chan Gailey to kind of simplify things. He's gone after one season, and now it is the Studisville and Godsey show, co-offensive coordinators. On one hand, I don't think I'm much a fan of the idea of having co-offensive coordinators. But I will say that this is becoming a bit more normal. You're at least seeing teams have an offensive coordinator, and then they also have a passing game coordinator or an offensive coordinator and a run game coordinator. I've seen that suggested by some people 
for the Bills, right? Have Brian Dable be your offensive coordinator, but hire somebody to be the run game coordinator. So I don't think it's that laughable. I don't think I'd do it. I'd want to have one guy, you know, coordinating, engineering, being the architect for my offense, being the play caller instead of two, but this is the the route that the Miami Dolphins are going in. And it's interesting that they didn't go outside the organization to hire either of the co-offensive coordinators. Both of these guys were promoted from within, and this was a search that lasted, I think, about a month. So this is where they settled, and this is the direction that they're going in. We'll see what happens. As far as key free agents for the Miami Dolphins, three starters are up in terms of their contracts. Center Ted Karras, nose tackle Devon Godchow, and linebacker Elandon Roberts. So nothing super crazy when it comes to guys that are uh, on expiring contracts. They have several backups. Mac Hollins, a wide receiver. Offensive tackle Julian Davenport. Ryan Fitzpatrick's a free agent. Matt Breed is a free agent. Uh, linebacker Camus Kruger-Hill. Linebacker Vince Beagle. And their punter Matt Hack. Those are their notable free agents, but only three starters. And then, of course, you know a few important backups. But nothing overly concerning if you're Miami. As far as draft capital, they're loaded. They own... The third pick in the draft, courtesy of the Houston Texans. They have pick 18, so two first-round picks. They have pick 36 in the second round, so a high second-round pick. They have pick 50, they have pick 82, and they have a fourth and a sixth-round pick. So they have four picks in the top 50 and five in the top 82. So they've got quite a bit of draft capital at their disposal. Of course, number three overall and number 18 overall, the uh, the premier picks that they own. As far as cap space goes, they have $23 million available right now. That is 10th best in the NFL. When it comes to the biggest questions that they have entering this offseason, I have eight things written down. Number one, are they going to stick with Tua or are they going to go all in on trading for Deshaun Watson? It's kind of crazy, but... It sure doesn't sound like Deshaun Watson's going to be back as the quarterback for the Houston Texans. And the Miami Dolphins are on the short list of teams that Watson will waive his no-trade clause to go to, and Miami has a lot to offer Houston. They can offer Tua. They can offer pick three, 18. Heck, they got 36 and 50. They may have to go into next year's draft to offer something, but they have a ton of assets that they can ship in a package deal for Deshaun Watson. We should hope that does not happen. We should hope that they stick with Tua and build around him with this draft capital and cap space that they have. Because if they get Deshaun Watson, the AFC East gets real interesting. Deshaun Watson, one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, 25 years old, in his prime, and a true difference maker. He changes the landscape of this division. Certainly, you have a a two-team race, in my mind, between the Bills and Dolphins. If they stick with Tua, we'll see. Tua struggled as the season went on last year. A lot of warts in his game. Didn't look like his arm talent was quite to the level that we saw at Alabama. Struggled to come off that first read. They really kind of kept the training wheels on him for most of the year. 
some of the messaging coming out of the locker room. Kind of weird. I mean, if you're committed to Tua, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of rumblings about their interest in Deshaun Watson, their interest in Russell Wilson. So they're definitely toeing the line here, right? They have a decision to make. Go all in on a package for Watson or stick with Tua. As Bills fans, we should really hope they stick with Tua. Number two, as far as question marks for the Miami Dolphins, they have got to find answers at wide receiver and running back. They don't have enough in either one of those positions right now. Devontae Parker's a good player, but he needs some more players around him, and they need to do a better job of supporting Tua with weapons in the passing game. Mike Gusecki's a nice tight end, but outside of Devontae Parker, I'm not sure what there's to be excited about in this Miami Dolphins wide receiver core. Preston Williams is super inconsistent. I don't think Jakeem Grant is a very reliable option in the passing game. They got some guys, some you know bottom-of-the-roster guys, Malcolm Perry and Lynn Bowden, but for the most part here, they need to get a couple of wide receivers in that running back. Miles Gaskin as the lead back leaves a lot to be desired. And, you know, when you talk depth, you're looking at Salvin Ahmed, Patrick Laird. You know, they need a guy. They need their, their they need a lead back. So they they have questions when it comes to the weapons surrounding their quarterback. They also have questions on the offensive line. Started three rookies last year in Austin Jackson, Solomon Kinley, and Robert Hunt. I think they all had reasonable rookie years, but Still have a ways to go in terms of development. Eric Flowers was a disappointment at left guard. They gave him a big contract in the offseason. And at center, Ted Karras is a free agent. So they have to piece this together and figure out their best combination up front. They probably need to add a starter. They own pick three, which has got to be really exciting for them. But, you know, are they going to sit there and draft their choice of wide receiver? Do they want to sit there and get Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddell or Devonta Smith? Do they want to go with an offensive lineman like a Penny Sewell, or do they trade back? A lot of teams, I'm sure, would love to get to pick three. Panthers at eight, Philly at six, New England. I don't think they're going to trade back with New England, but think about San Francisco, Minnesota. A lot of teams, Denver maybe, would like to get to pick three. Do they trade out of that spot and get a ton of draft capital? Certainly a possibility for them. The next thing I have written down for the Miami Dolphins in terms of questions is, will Xavier Howard hold out their cornerback coming off of a 10-interception season? You know, Howard has been a playmaker for Miami. The problem is that he's injured all the time. He's missed 30% of the possible games for his career to date, and he has Real concerns when it comes to the structural integrity of his knee. He's had a lot of problems with that throughout the course of his career. He's 28, coming off of a 10 interception season. And he's not even the highest paid cornerback on his team. I can see him holding out and wanting to land a contract that pays him an average annual salary of around $20 million. He understands he has to strike now, right? He was healthy, 10 interceptions. He's got to go get his. So could he be a possible trade chip 
in a move with the Houston Texans who need help on defense that have cap space. And, you know, Xavier Howard's a, a Texas guy. You know, is that a natural opportunity for that to potentially happen? Maybe. But I think that's a situation worth monitoring. They need to find a linebacker to play next to Jerome Baker on the second level. They need more pass rush off the edge. Shaq Lawson's a good player. Emmanuel Agba had a good year. Andrew Van Ginkle rushes really, really hard, but they can certainly use a guy there, right? A, a bona fide top pass rusher off the edge. And the biggest question that Miami has and has to be asking themselves is how do they close the gap on the Bills? The Bills have dominated Miami. Buffalo has won the last five games against Miami and seven of the last eight. The Bills are 12-4 and four against the Dolphins since 2013. Josh Allen dominates them every time. He gets the AFC Offensive Player of the Week award seemingly every time he plays Miami. And Sean McDermott's only loss to the Dolphins was when Charles Clay and Josh Allen couldn't hook up on that wide-open throw at the end of the game. If that pass is completed, then... <laughs> You know, add one to all of the things I just said. The Bills have won the last uh, eight. They're 13-3 and three since 2013, and Josh Allen dominates them. So, you know, they've, they've got to be asking themselves some serious questions about what they need to do to construct their roster and make adjustments to have a chance to compete with the Bills because right now the Bills have their number. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and they have real time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's talk about the New England Patriots. 7-9 and nine in 2020. As far as coaching changes go, Matt Patricia is back as a defensive coach, not necessarily as the coordinator, but he is returning in, as the Patriots label it, a variety of roles. Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, Gerard Mayo, all of those guys back in their usual roles. As far as key free agents go for the New England Patriots, they have a ton. In terms of starters, starting center, David Andrews, guard, Joe Thune, quarterback, Cam Newton, running back, James White, defensive end, John Simon, defensive end, Dietrich Wise, defensive tackle, Lawrence Guy, defensive end, Adam Butler, and cornerback Jason McCourty. All of those guys are free agents. And some of their key depth players in Demir Bird, a wide receiver. Offensive tackle Jermaine Illuminer. Edge rusher Shalik Calhoun. Linebacker Brandon Copeland. Safety Justin Bathel. Safety Terrence Brooks and kicker Nick Folk. So lots of big-time free agents for that football team. When it comes to draft capital, they have picks 15 and 46. They do not have a third-round pick because the NFL owns that. As usual, the Patriots losing draft capital for doing shady things. They have a fourth, a fifth, 
two sixth-round picks and a seventh-round pick. They're also scheduled to get a compensatory pick in the third round and two fourth-round picks. So they have a ton of draft capital, including pick number 15 overall. When it comes to cap space, they got a good amount of that too. $62 million, third most in the NFL. It'd be super interesting to see what they do with cap space because they're not typically a team that's very active in free agency and they have a ton of their own guys that they have to look at in terms of re-signing. As far as their biggest questions entering the offseason, I have seven things written down. Number one, quarterback. That is a big question for them. I don't think, based on what we saw from Cam Newton last year, that they're going to be super interested in bringing him back. He's definitely not a long-term answer. It certainly looked like his best days are behind him. Jarrett Stidham, (laughs) I don't think he's a real option as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So they're sitting with pick number 15, and if they want to get one of the premier guys in the draft, they're probably going to have to move way, way up. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to pull that off. This could be a team that looks for a veteran in free agency like an Andy Dalton or a Jameis Winston or Ryan Fitzpatrick, something like that, because I don't think there's an easy answer to you know, who their next long-term guy is. So quarterback is a big question for New England. Offensive line is a big question for New England. Now they have Shaq Mason's back. Michael Unwenyu was a sensational rookie. Isaiah Wynn at left tackle. But are they going to be able to bring back Joe Tooney and David Andrews? I'm not sure. They could have a couple question marks on the offensive line, a position that's typically been one of strength for the New England Patriots. When it comes to weapons, they don't have any. There's not a single weapon on this offense that's going to scare anybody. They've got to find help at receiver. They need one of these young tight ends that they drafted last year to emerge. And at running back, I mean, I guess Damian Harris and Sony Michelle can be their guys. But in the passing game, there's there's a lot there's a lot that they need to to find here to find some answers for whoever's playing quarterback because Julian Edelman is cooked and Keel Harry is teetering on bust status. Their best guys, Jacoby Myers. I don't know. They need a lot of help there. Their defensive line, all of their starters are free agents outside of Byron Cowart. Adam Butler, Lawrence Guy, Deatrick Wise, all free agents. John Simon, they're one of their key outside linebackers, a free agent. So they got major questions there. At linebacker, they should get Deonta Hightower back, but they need somebody to play next to him on the second level. I think there's a good chance they're going to be in on Matt Milano from the Bills to fill that void, but they need a linebacker or two that can play in space. They don't have any right now. They have Stephon Gilmore's contract in that situation to deal with. You know, as the cornerback market has been reset, Stephon Gilmore has really fallen down the ladder in terms of where his contract ranks in terms of the highest paid corners in the NFL. You know, are they going to trade him? Are they going to try to smooth that over? I'm not sure. Typically, they get rid of guys that want new deals. So we'll see what they do with Gilmore. And then how do they reacclimate the guys that opted out of the 2020 season? They had some big ones. Marcus Cannon at right tackle, Patrick Chung at safety, 
Marquise Lee at wide receiver, Deonta Hightower, and Matt Lacoste at tight end. Now, a lot of those guys will provide answers for them, but you know how do they reacclimate in to the mix as New England is definitely rebuilding? They've tried to piece it together last year, see what they can do with Cam, but now they are in a position where they've got a fair amount of draft picks, they have a lot of cap space, and they have a real opportunity to kind of reset some things here on this roster as they look to um, you know, kind of enter their new era of football post-Tom Brady in New England. So a lot of questions here for this Patriots football team, and I'm going to be fascinated to see what they do at quarterback, how they surround this quarterback, what they do in that defensive front seven, how they handle Stephon Gilmore, how they bring back these opt-outs, and how they invest this $62 million in cap space. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. They have 18 amazing flavors. Some of my favorites are coconut almond, cookies and cream. I really like the lemon almond cheesecake. They're all delicious. They're all covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but they're good for you. Built Bar is great for anyone who is health conscious. Whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat, you got to try Built Bars. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone who is on the keto diet. Got a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKEDON20 and you'll receive 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON20 for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Let's talk about those New York Jets coming off a 2-14 season. They fired Adam Gase, unfortunately. Was hoping he'd last forever there, but uh, they let him go. You hate to see it. They hired Robert Sala to be their head coach, which is interesting because now the AFC East has four head coaches that are all defensive-minded. The entire NFL is after these offensive guys, right? Not the AFC East. We've got defensive coaches in McDermott, Flores, Sala, and Belichick. As far as coordinators go, Robert Sala hired Mike LaFleur to be his offensive coordinator. Mike LaFleur is Matt LaFleur's younger brother. Matt LaFleur is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. He's been there for two seasons and was 13-3 and three in each of those seasons. So he's off to a great start in Green Bay. Uh, Matt LaFleur has spent his entire career in the NFL working under Kyle Shanahan. They've been together since 2014. So you know that Shanahan offense, a lot of wide zone rushing, a lot of uh, yards after catch from the receivers, mixing in some play action, a lot of screens, a lot of schemed and manufactured throws. So, you know, you got to you gotta be able to trigger downhill and tackle against that style of offense. Uh, on defense, they hired Jeff Ulbrich to be their defensive coordinator. Uh, he had a nine-year playing career with the 49ers and has been the linebackers coach in Atlanta from 2015 to 2020. I think we have a pretty good idea of what they're going to try to do defensively based on, you know, Sela and what he did in San Francisco. A lot of cover three, very disciplined defense. And, you know, it'll take some time for him to get his personnel groupings correct. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think a very good defensive mindset that Robert Sela has. And, you know, I'm sure that he'll evolve the scheme and, uh, you know, assemble a really good group over there. So I think Robert Sala was a really good hire for them. And, you know, I like their choices at coordinator as well. As far as key free agents goes, uh, several starters are up. 
Wide receiver, Brashad Perriman. Edge rusher, Terrell Basham. Linebacker, Neville Hewitt. Linebacker, Bryce Hager. Edge rusher, Jordan Jenkins. Safety, Marcus May. Uh, slot safety, Bradley McDougald. Cornerback, Brandon Poole. You know, Frank Gore's a free agent. Joe Flacco's a free agent. But, you know, those first guys that I mentioned there, those are the most significant. They are loaded when it comes to draft capital. They have pick two, 23, 34, 66, 87. They have a fourth round pick, two fifths, a sixth, and a seventh. So they've got three of the top 34 picks. They've got five of the first 87 picks. And of course, those two first rounders, two and 23. As far as cap space goes, they have a ton, 67 million, second most in the NFL. So they have four questions that I have written down, but they are all massive questions. Number one, Sam Darnold's future has not worked out to date. Feel bad for Sam Darnold because this team has been a dumpster fire from every level. The roster, the coaching, the front office, it's been a disaster. Sam Darnold has not been given what I would say is a fair shake in New York. However, Joe Douglas, the general manager, he didn't draft him, and neither did Robert Saleh, the head coach. I think there's a good chance that they trade Sam Darnold and pick a different quarterback at number two overall, whether that's Justin Fields from Ohio State or Zach Wilson from BYU. I think they should hit that reset button, get a change of scenery going for not only them at quarterback, but Sam Darnold and uh, reset while you own that number two pick. But they have to assess that situation and make a choice. I can see Sam Darnold being a good fit for the style of offense they want to run. However, they have to ask themselves, do they want Sam Darnold or do they want to reset there with a new young player? Number two, their roster is a complete dump. This is the worst roster in the NFL, and it's not very close. So they've got got a lot of work to do here. I like the draft class that Joe Douglas had last year in his first, first year on the job, but they are multiple good draft classes away from having a formidable roster. Now, they do have a good amount of cap space to work with, but they have holes on top of holes on top of holes when it comes to this roster. The next question I have written down is what offensive building blocks do they already have? Not many is the answer. Maybe Mikai Becton at left tackle. Denzel Mims showed some promise at wide receiver. But that's probably it on offense in terms of guys that you identify as your building blocks to move forward with. Cameron Clark is an offensive lineman that I like. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they, I mean, they, have, they have a need to overhaul literally everything on the offense. And they're probably going to cut Jamison Crowder because they can free up, I think, like 12, 13, 14 million dollars by moving on from him. I have the same thing written down for number four. What defensive building blocks do they actually have on this roster? Quinnen Williams for sure. He came into his own last year. He was outstanding. Ashton Davis at safety I like. And then if they can bring back Marcus May, you know, I think he's an above average player. But outside of Williams, Davis, and May, I'm not sure what they can look at and identify on this roster defensively 
that screams long-term answer, long-term building block. So I like what they have at GM and Joe Douglas. I think Robert Salo was a good hire. But my goodness, are they behind the eight ball when it comes to having building blocks on the roster. Now, again, tons of draft capital, tons of cap space, so this will turn, but I think they're a couple of off-seasons away and obviously making the right choice at quarterback away from really competing to be a, a team that challenges for a 500 record. So, should be fascinating this off-season. What do the Dolphins do to close the gap, right? They're the team that's closest to the Bills. They're 10-6 and six last year. Do they go out and get Deshaun Watson or do they use all these assets they have to build around Tua? The Patriots, I mean, how on earth do they do they reset and find a quarterback picking 15? And, you know, how do they fill out their roster? Same thing with the Jets. What do they do at quarterback? They got a couple of high draft picks, but, you know, do they roll with Sam Darnold? And whether or not they roll with Sam Darnold or pick somebody different at number two, this roster is... Needs a lot of work. They have to hit on a lot of things to get to the point where they're competitive. So that's what the Bills are up against in the AFC East. Nothing can be assumed, but I like the landscape and I like where the Bills fit into that right now. Again, 6-0 and last year against these teams, and I'm sure they'd love to uh, replicate that success in 2021. All right, folks, that'll do it for us today here on the podcast. My plan for tomorrow, as of right now, is to talk pass rush and get real specific on players in the draft, players in free agency that the Bills can pursue to help get this pass rush cooking. So you have that to look forward tomorrow. Don't miss it. Make sure that you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.